Shalom, this is Rabbi Sachs, and welcome to the Chai Academy, being broadcast live from the Chai Center. Get that out of the way. Um, today we are starting a, a new, a new course, a new series, I should say, and it's going to be interesting personalities, interesting Jewish personal personalities, and the lessons we can learn from them. We just completed a series on the Holocaust, which was um, a few weeks long. And um, so I figured to bridge the two, the Holocaust series to the Jewish personality series, we'll begin with Eli, or Eliezer Wiesel, Eli Wiesel. The, um, so so each, each class is going to be um, Standalone class encapsulated. So Ellie Wiesel will be about Ellie Wiesel. Tomorrow will be about somebody else, etc. So Ellie Wiesel was born in 1928. He was born in Romania. He was born in in the in the town of Siget. Siget. Siget is actually there are Sigeter Hasidim, and because Romania is so close to Hungary, um, a lot of the Satmar Hasidim. And the Sigeta Hasidim are basically very similar. So he was born. He was born in this town of Sigeta. Um, this 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 town had fourteen thousand Jews. And when the Holocaust happened, it was completely emptied out, and only about seven hundred Jews survived. One of them being Eli Wiesel. Um, what's interesting about Romania? where it borders on the Ukraine and borders on Hungary. What's, um, the, 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 in Siget, by the way, they speak a few different languages. They speak Romanian, they speak Hungarian, they speak uh, you know, a little bit of uh, Ukrainian, I'm sure Russian influence. Um, what, what's interesting about this neck of the woods is that the deportations, the deportations that took place um, by the, by the, uh, you know, on the because of pressure by the Nazis, by the Romanian Hungarian authorities, happened much later than everywhere else. So, the Jews in Siget, the Jews in Romania, were and, and and Hungary for that matter, they were pretty safe until 1944, whereas other deportations began as early as 1941. This didn't happen until 1944. So if they could have survived like, like you know, one year, they would have survived, but it wasn't, it didn't happen that way. Um, Ellie, Ellie Wiesel's mother came from a very famous Hasidic family, Vishnitz Hasidim in particular, and um, her mother's maiden name, if I remember, was Feig, F-E-I-G. His father, um, his father was, was uh, not from a Hasidic family. His father was from a traditional kosher Orthodox family. And he, see, he once remarked that he learned his faith from his mother and his, his uh, caring and compassion and, and humanistic approach from his father. Elie Wiesel was one of three uh, one of four, I should say. So there was, there was. He had um, Beatrice, was his was his older sister, 
um, Hilda, I think, was an older sister. Um, Zipporah um, was a younger sister. So he was the, the boy and he had three, three sisters. And um, his mom, Dan, and Zipporah, his younger sister, were killed during the Holocaust by the Nazis in the camps. Um, in in, um, in 1944, by the deportations, Ellie was 15 years old. So he wasn't, you know, a nine-year-old kid or a seven-year-old or a baby. He was 15 years old, and they were sent to they were they, they were sent to um, to Auschwitz. And from there, they were sent to from Auschwitz. They were taken to from which which was in Poland. They were taken to Buchenwald. Which, in the, which was in the Wehrmacht district in Germany. The, um, it's interesting, he, he, in his book he writes um, that in 1944, when there was a Warsaw Ghetto uprising, and remember, this is, Romania was still safe from deportations. Jews were living their lives, couldn't have been comfortable. You know, there was anti-Semitism, you know, but, but they weren't being deported, they weren't being systematically killed and, and et cetera. But, but he writes that his mother was very angry at the, that the Warsaw Ghetto Jews that were making the uprising. And the mother said what many people felt at that time. Ach, what are they doing? Why are they making such trouble for themselves? The war's nearly over. Just, you know, patience. The war is over. If you fight the Nazis, you know, you, can, you have a chance of getting killed. But the war's nearly over. And, and that was the mindset, that was the mindset of, of, of his mom, and, and she wasn't the only one. So when the deportations took place in, 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 uh, in, in Budapest, in Sigat, and, and, and these other places, it was, it was like shock, the war was over. And it's only because it was the last year of the war was their deal struck between Rudolf Kastner and, and Eichmann, as, as far as saving the Jews of Lodz, is because it was, it was um, the war machine needed money. And so, so the, the Nazi war machine, and I'm sure the Allies needed money as well, so the deal was struck, because it, this wasn't 1941. It wasn't 1940, it wasn't 1942, this was 1944. So anyway, they were taken to Auschwitz, where they were killed, his mother, and, and Zipporah were killed very early on. Um, he, he um, in an interview with Oprah Winfrey, and he took Oprah to Auschwitz, um, but he told her that the, 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 his main push to survive Auschwitz and then Buchenwald was because he knew if he died, his father would die shortly thereafter. So he said that my push to survive was to keep my father alive. Turns out his father was killed, his father was beaten and, and killed in the camps. And he told Oprah that um, he, was, he, was, he was actually embarrassed, he was humiliated that a son, and remember he was 16 at that time, could not stand up and save his father. Um, and, and, um, and, and he was, he was just, just humiliated was a term he used. He was liberated in 1945 from Buchenwald. And from there he went to France. 
he went to um, and he went to to um, and with 90 100 boys remember he was a he was an Orthodox kid and kept kosher so about a 90 and 100 boys were, were, were moved to a kosher boarding place and um, it was it was just north of Paris like 22 miles or 25 miles 30 kilometers north of Paris uh, and he grew up in Paris close to Paris he went to the Sorbonne where he studied journalism etc and he actually became a journalist in in uh, in France um, when he was in France he, he, he covered the the bombing in in 1948 I believe or was it 1945 I'm not sure what it was 1946 the King David Hotel uh, I think he went to Israel in 48, but he, in, I think it was 1945, he covered the, the, the bombing of the hotel, and we discussed this in, the, in our Israel series. So he covered the bombing, and, and um, when he learned about Ben-Gurion, he learned about the Ugun, and he learned about the, you know, the people just trying to get the British out of power because they were, they were um, they, you know, they had quotas, and, and when he learned about it, he actually tried to join the underground. He tried to join the Irgun, but he was not successful. He, he went to Israel, and um, as a journalist for a newspaper that's still around today called Yudiot Achronot, and he, be, he became the Yudiot Achronot roving international journalist. Um, and and um, and he covered he covered a lot of the Israel turmoil in the early years, the independence, the bombings, and the fight with the British and the fight with the Muslims. I'm sure he did the uh, cover the the uh, you know the story of the Atalia, um, the Exodus, the ship, etc. Um, etc. Et he never spoke about the Holocaust for ten years. He didn't say a word about what he witnessed. And remember, he was a young adult. He was 15, 16 years old by the time he got out, and he didn't say a word. And it was only due to a friendship with another journalist and another somebody who was, who was an award-winning um, journalist by the name of, um, uh, I remember his first name anyway, Francois, and, um, you know, Montréal or something like that. Um, and and it, was, it was Francois told him, that um, you should, you need to talk about it. He says, and you're a great writer, Ellie, Eli. Um, get, get um, you know, do something. So he wrote a book. It was a 900-page book. I just wrote a book. It's 250 pages, 75,000 words. This is 900. And the book was called Under Welt hat geschwiegen, and the world was silent. Um, and, and um, it was translated into French, it was translated into a couple different languages. He then wrote a, a, a synopsis, you know, a shortened version, version, version and, and he called it Night. Very famous book, translated into 30 languages. And, um, and while it started off slow at first, they say that the book Night, should only happen to my book, um, has sold 10 million copies. Of course, Knight was, was his eyewitness account and his feelings of what happened during this darkest time, nighttime, of, of the Holocaust. 
and um, and and um, it was it was um, you know he wrote a trilogy. The night was was about the 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 um, what exactly um, the Jews and he led through the in, the indignity and the, the the murder and the humiliation and the and the and the just indiscriminate killing and and lack of respect for human life. It made such a profound impact on him, the negative, that he turned it into a positive. He decided, once he wrote his book, that he is going to be on the forefront of human rights. And um, in 1955, he came to the U.S., and, and then he started to become an activist. While, yes, he was a professor in college, and he was an author, you know, he wrote, he wrote many books, I know, 30 novels, I mean, 30 works of nonfiction. Um, and, and, but he also was very instrumental. He was a founding member of the U.S. Holocaust Museum. He, he together with his partner, with a partner, um, he founded Moment Magazine, which was um, a, a, a magazine tackling Jewish issues. He, he became a speaker, a sought-after speaker. Um, he, 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 um, and, and uh, he gave the commencements, commencement addresses at different colleges and universities. Once again, 90, 90 honored doctorates. 90 universities honored him with, 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 with doctorate, honorary doctorate degrees. He received the Congressional Gold Medal for his activism. He fought apartheid. He, he stood up for Darfur. He stood up for any time there was an injustice in the world, he was there. He was on the forefront. And the injustice, by the way, could, could have been done even very subtle. One, something that propelled him into the limelight is uh, President Ronald Reagan. Um, when he was president, I think it was in, uh, in 82, 83, maybe, maybe later, I don't know. He wanted, he, President Reagan, I'm trying to think when it was, it may have been 85. President Reagan was was planning on, on visiting the Bitburg Cemetery in Germany, West Germany. Now, Bitburg Cemetery has is, is a mixed bag. It has, you know, United States, um, uh, you know, the United States heroes that were killed during the war, but it also had a nice chunk of Nazis buried there. So Elie Wiesel, he, he made an impassioned, impassioned speech um, to Reagan, telling him, you don't belong there. You don't belong in Bitburg. Don't give that place honor. Do not. Um, you, you know, you belong in, 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 in the, you know, in, in the, uh, visiting the cemeteries, um, right, you, you, visit, you visiting the cemeteries, in the military cemeteries, and the veteran cemeteries, you don't belong in Pittsburgh. And while Reagan was very moved, Reagan, in, in, in my opinion, made an error, and he still went to Pittsburgh. Wiesel followed him to Pittsburgh, and that was like a compromise that Pittsburgh, that, that Wiesel could speak um, after Reagan, before Reagan, I don't remember, I do remember him speaking um, at, at, at the cemetery. Um, he was, as I said, given a congressional gold medal for his activism and for the very first time in his life in 2009 he returned to Hungary 
where he addressed the Hungarian parliament um, for the very first time, by the way, since the war. Yet there were 10,000 people in attendance, the prime minister or the president, premier, or whatever his name is, um, whatever his title is. He was there, 10,000 people, and he spoke, standing room, only crowd, and um, and what and they gave him the the um, they gave him the the cross the medal the highest the highest um, honor that 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 country could give. What's interesting is that in two thousand and twelve he gave it back. It's called I think the Hungarian cross. Um, his friend Francois also got the cross by the way, um, and he gave it back. He says, you know what, the Hungarians never took full responsibility for the Holocaust, for what happened. And even now, even now, they're not really, you know, they, they, they like to sweep it under the rug. He says, I can't in good conscience keep this medal. Um, Elie Wiesel was very opposed, as I was, as most, I think, people with common sense, the Iran deal. He says to give the Iran, right? and so, so me, you can dismiss, but um, Elie Wiesel, um, this is a man who's seen it all, and this is a man that was very involved. He said it's a huge mistake giving giving Iran nuclear capabilities, and um, that was one is actually one of his last things because um, he you know he died in 2016, and this Iran deal was happening you know 2015, and um, and and he was very very opposed to the Iran deal. He felt it would just be a human rights nightmare, and it would create loss tremendous loss of life it would create a, a holocaust and um, he was he was very impassioned but um, he was ignored he was ignored which is too bad um, I think if his legacy says anything that, that Iran deal should not happen even now right, so it was it was it was put it was stopped for a while and now the, the talks are resuming it's it, to me it's, it's such an error in judgment it's frustrating um, there's a story told about him, and, and it may be, you know, I, it's, is it a substantiated story? I'm not sure, but it's an interesting story. Is that he didn't want to have kids. He got married late. He didn't want to have kids. And, um, and, and he used to have correspondence with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And, um, you know, and he used to joke around with the Rebbe. I'm not a Lubavitcher, I'm a Vishnitzer. You know, like, you know, you can give me advice, but I don't have to take it from you. Anyway, the Rebbe told him, cut it out and have kids. Right? Get married and have kids. And eventually he did. And he had one child, Alicia. Alicia Wiesel. Alicia, in Times Square, there was a rally the other day, a pro-Israel rally, because of the, the war that just ended with uh, Hamas against Israel and the, anti the outgrowth of that war of anti-Semitism. And Alicia Wiesel spoke. Um, Elie Wiesel made a foundation, found, you know, founded a foundation that helped um, fight um, prejudice, and um, he took a salary from that foundation. Sadly, sadly, towards the very end of his life, um, he was a he was a um, his foundation was being overseen by a fellow by the name of Bernie Madoff. And um, Elie Wiesel lost life savings. 
lost his foundational money and his salary that was being taken from there and made off made off made off with over with over 15 million dollars so um you know here's a man that suffered greatly and and, and he was so uh, such an accomplished person only to be taken advantage of by Madoff. Now they're both in heaven. Hopefully, they're 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 uh, they're both working it out. I say heaven. I don't know where anybody is, but um, you know, hopefully that they've they've worked they worked it out and, and Madoff has paid him back. Um, what an interesting guy. He was um he was very he was he had a. It's interesting. He wrote many books on the Holocaust, but in his later years, he um, his speeches were more about Judaism, Talmud, and uh, one speech that I attended at the end of his discussion, which was not on the Holocaust, which is sort of about his thoughts of on life. It ended with him singing a song. Now, when he sung his song, you know, he had, first of all he had mad hair. I don't know what that was all about. I guess a trademark. Einstein did the same thing. Maybe just very wise and smart and people are also egocent um, uh, they, they have uh, idiosyncrasies when it comes to the hair, I'm not sure. But um, um, when he finished his, his lecture and before he stood up, he sung a song. And the song was Animamin, I believe. I believe in the coming of Mashiach, even though he may tarry, even though Messiah may tarry. I anticipate his, 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 his arrival at any time. When he sung this song, coming from him, an elderly man, survived the Holocaust, dedicated his life to humanity, you could hear a pin drop. There was not a dry eye when he gave it live. And, and while some people, the lecture went over their head, not the song. And he sung it, and he looked down, and then he was moving with his hands as he was singing. And then when he finished, he goes, ah, no. And he stood up, and he got a rounding applause. Um, it, it was appreciative applause, because that spoke more volumes than his lecture. What a fascinating, fascinating man. He, 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 had, he was morals, values. And um, I consider myself lucky, honored, to have met this individual who has such an impact and effect on so many. He literally traveled the world in order to preach humanity. And um, sometimes it was deaf ears, but um, I think what he accomplished is he brought back what the Nazis took away from us he may not have brought it all back, you know, the human dignity, etc. But, but just meeting a man like that was enough to restore one's faith in humankind. One may um, thank you for listening. Couple things: you may um, go to um, the YouTube.com and the High Academy if you would like to hear any with the previous, the previous. Um, um, classes, courses, etc. You may also go to thechaisenter.com forward slash academy. 
today's a big day for, for me personally, as today's my book is the first official day of it being published. If you wish to order the book, there's no money in this. It's just an interesting read. There's no money for me. I'm sure there's money for Amazon. Um, it's thechaicenter.com forward slash book. And you may um, you'll be honoring me with ordering the book and, and write a review and, you know, rabbi at thechaicenter.com if you have any feedback, etc., etc. Um, God bless. Be well.